Welcome to We Need to Talk About Tech, where we talk about the past, present, and future of technology. On this week's podcast, we're talking about the Tesla Model S and Model X redesigns. You're talking about the battle between Apple and Facebook. And Jeff Bezos stepping down as the CEO of Amazon. Okay. Last week, uh, Tesla announced that they will be redesigning their Model S's, or I guess they've already redesigned their Model S and Model X, and they kind of revealed the new designs to the world. I guess production for these new redesigned cars is starting in the first quarter of 2021, and they apparently will also be shipping to the customers as soon as March. Now, we're recording this in February. Tesla has a history of delivering late on promises. I'm not too optimistic it's going to come in March, but I mean, we'll see when they actually start getting delivered. What do you think of these new redesigns? And do you think that they're going to actually be delivering these to customers in March? Or are you kind of expecting a more Tesla-esque timeline? So, yeah. First of all, I think the the redesigns were probably... I think this is like the second major redesign of the Model S um, that they've had. And I, I think it's about time. You know, they, they needed to bring it up into kind of modern standards. I think the Model S for a lot of people felt a little bit cheaper than the Model 3, um, just from the design of the interior um, specifically. But yeah, this redesign kind of redid both the interior and the exterior. The one thing I would say is that I think overall the redesign is great. I think we've been, you know, a little bit tough on Tesla in terms of how they manufacture their cars and stuff like that. But overall, I think what they've done with these redesigns kind of simplified um it looks like it, it's going to simplify their manufacturing a little bit. And uh, I like most of them. There are a few things that I think are a little bit annoying and, and kind of a deal breaker for me if I was personally in the market for these. But uh, I think it's it's a good job. The Model X and Model S are very expensive cars. They're the two flagship vehicles of Tesla. And they needed to be a little bit more uh, upscale to kind of compete with you know the, the BMWs and the Mercedes and the other types of luxury brands that are going to be in their price bracket and i think this brings them a little bit step closer to that so some of the main changes that they have made is a little bit of a redesign on the exterior um, in terms of how the grill looks and a little bit more lines along the side so it's less roundish as the old vehicles the old vehicles were very round and and kind of stumpy and they they did that to be aerodynamic now there's a little bit more cuts a little bit more aggressive styling in the car which looks nice um, and then on the inside they've completely redone the interior um, new materials less you know open spaces where there was just a uh, gaping hole with uh, little bits of plastic around they've kind of classed it up a bit and they've changed the screen from being uh, landscape to portrait um, which is brings it in line with the sorry from portrait to landscape which brings it in line with the Model 3. So that's kind of like what they're doing to, I think, make things a little bit simpler all the way through. But yeah, uh, I think there's there's this is a cool, and, and it's about time that they actually did this redesign. But, um, you know, I think it's okay. How about you? What do you think? I, I, I want to say I'm really not a fan of the steering wheel, but I'm kind of curious. What do you think about the, 
the redesign and especially that steering wheel yeah i was going to ask you about the steering wheel if you didn't mention it so for anyone who hasn't seen the steering wheel if you think of a traditional wheel right it's a circle what they've done is it's um i guess what's being called a yoke style steering wheel so it's supposed to uh i guess emulate more of what a fighter jet would have i guess mm. um or not even a fighter jet i don't know just like a plane just a regular a plane. plane yeah so you've pretty much chopped off the top there's nothing to hold onto on the top and it's just the bottom half of a wheel but even then it's not a wheel it's like a rectangle on the bottom of it so it's very different it's very jarring when you look at it yeah um people are even making fun of how it looks because instead of any uh switches on the side like maybe to turn on your windshield wipers or maybe to turn on your left and turn signals there's now buttons on the steering wheel to do all of that and they have two dots on either side of the horn Everyone's saying it looks like an elephant or it looks like some sort of, you know, koala bear, marsupial. So they're making fun of their steering wheel. Mm-hmm. It, I could see how they're going for more of a, a sporty vibe. And I think this is supposed to be what the steering wheel on the new, on the new Roadster is going to look like, too. So if yeah. it does end up being the same steering wheel, I could see how they're going with that for their, I guess, their higher class vehicles they're sportier vehicles but right now it kind of it looks weird yeah i do like the new redesigned interior it makes a lot more sense like you said there's not really big gaps where things are missing and they've added a charging mat i guess a charging mat for two phones right in the center console which make makes it very convenient the new landscape touchscreen makes it a lot more convenient too and like you said it kind of brings it in line with the model 3 and the model y i also like that they did keep the dashboard because yeah i was kind of when i heard redesign i was like please don't tell me they got rid of the dashboard behind the steering wheel but i'm glad they decided to keep that um yeah i don't know the interior looks nice hopefully like you said we've we've kind of made fun of tesla for quite some time about their whole issues when it comes to manufacturing cars and the quality of their interiors hopefully once it gets delivered to people it looks as nice as it does in these pictures Mm -hmm. hopefully the materials seem as nice as they do in these pictures but really only time will tell now he did mention some of the exterior redesigns exterior modifications one thing that i think is nice if they they've kind of simplified their lineup you know for the model s at least it was what like p90 p100 p100 100d p100d ludicrous mode now it's just okay you can get the long range the plaid and the plaid plus now one thing they've done also is with these new i guess drivetrains that they've they've added for these models the long range model s is supposed to have, I believe, a 412-mile range, Yeah, which is pretty far. The Plaid, which is their sportier version, is supposed to have a range of 390 miles, so a little bit less, but it's it has 1,020 horsepower. 
is supposed to be able to reach a top speed of 200 miles per hour, depending on if you have the right tires, as Elon says. Now, their top-of-the-line version is a Plaid Plus. This won't be coming out till the end of 2021. It's going to have 1,100 horsepower with a range of 520 miles, and it's supposed to go from 0 to 60 miles per hour, or 0 to 100 kilometers an hour, in less than two seconds, which is, those are insane stats. I know you don't care as much about, you know, the statistics that the companies come up with, but I mean, this is on pace to be the fast. And I think they've even said, I think Tesla's even claimed, you know, this is going to be the new fastest mass production vehicle that people can buy. Yeah. Right. It's not some supercar where, okay, there's only 1,000 of these made for the entire world. No, there are going to be a large amount of these just driving around. Yeah. Yeah. And I think th that's such an important thing to bring up because Tesla, with this redesign, first of all, the range is insane. Like, it, we were just talking about, you know, electric cars and how. They were starting to kind of mature and all these companies were starting to make really good electric cars. And, you know, in the past, electric cars could not match the range of Tesla. Then they slowly started to do it. And then Tesla comes out with these numbers that are so astronomically high, astronomically higher than any of the competition that it's like, okay, the, the moment they were able to catch up, Tesla was, you know, put their foot on the gas, so to speak, and kind of went forward even farther. And then... In terms of the speed, yeah, like these are the stats that they were talking about the Roadster was supposed to have. Um, and, you know, under two seconds to zero to 60, you know, they're talking about the fastest quarter mile um, of any production car. And, you know, a car that's going to uh, cost a lot less than a lot of the the fastest cars in the world, like the Lamborghinis and the Ferraris and, and all that. It's not going to be, you know... Uh, cost the same amount as a Bugatti Chiron it's it's going to be probably a tenth of the cost um, and yeah it's very impressive that they were able to do this and I think it's important to talk about the good things that Tesla is doing um, but at the same time I do think there's also a lot of things that they're doing that just makes me scratch my head and the sad part is Tesla has a huge fan base and having a fan base is great. It, you know, makes your company very popular. Obviously, they're doing very well um, in terms of a, a publicly traded company. There's a lot of optimism around them. But I think the problem with a company that is so uh, immensely popular is that they can do things that aren't necessarily good, um, but people will like it anyways, or you know, say they like it or pretend they like it. And there's a few things with this car that we mentioned that I think just don't make much sense. So, like we mentioned, the steering wheel. Yeah, the steering wheel looks really sporty and, you know, it looks like it could be a plane and it's very fast and it kind of fits in with that, that kind of narrative. But it's not practical. And on a Roadster, I can I can be fine with it because that's a two-door car that's probably going to be, you know, driven for the fun of driving. It's not going to be, you're not going to be driving your kids to school um, in that every day. I mean, you probably could, but it's not what it's designed for. The Model S and the Model X are the most, the two most practical vehicles that Tesla offers, along with the Model Y. These are the cars or the vehicles with the most interior space. Um, they're what you're going to be using for road trips and stuff like that. So just having 
the ergonomics of a proper steering wheel or even a flat bottom steering wheel if you wanted it to be more sporty would make so much more sense than this yoke um, because I could just imagine trying to do a three-point turn um, with this steering wheel I would imagine it would be very very annoying and on top of that the idea that the car doesn't have a gear selector uh, blows my mind um, I don't know it's funny car manufacturers have been messing with the gear selector for years and it was something that was never broken I don't know who decided it needed to be fixed but someone <laughs> did and now Tesla's gone to the extreme of just getting rid of it altogether so apparently the car is going to predict whether you need to be in drive or reverse or park um, which to me doesn't make any sense but who knows maybe their cars are just so smart that they can be great with that but um, yeah, like I definitely like the specs. I, I definitely think the cars are doing a little bit, a little bit of weird stuff. But do you feel the same way? Like, do you think we can be in a world where we don't need a gear selector in a car, or we don't need, you know, really, a, you know, accurate steering, um, because a lot of this stuff is going to be automated? Or would you want to see a little bit more of those legacy features, like a proper gear selector in a car? Um, yeah, I had heard something about the predicting which gear you need to be in before mm -hmm. it's it's obviously a very foreign concept to me i mean i drive a manual car so i am very much selecting my gears the idea that the car is going to be deciding when you want to revert like i don't get how it's going to do that like is it going to wait okay once you look over your shoulder then it's going to decide to switch into reverse but even then most cars now have a backup camera so you're not even gonna need to look at your shoulder yeah. like let's say if you're you're stopped at a light for too long is it gonna put you into park or is it i yeah I, I have so many questions to ask when it comes to just the gear selection and i'm sure at some point whenever they launch it's going to be a great idea and then a whole bunch of people are going to complain and there's going to be accidents there's going to be something that comes because of it and there's going to be a, a very quick over the air update that oh hey we've put a gear selector feature right to the you know on the left side of the the display console so you can easily change which gear you need to be in i could 100 percent see that happening and the steering wheel yeah you made a good point these are sort of like the main family cars especially if you compare it to the roadster right it's a two-door you're meant to drive it fast within limit it's more it's a show right it's look how crazy this car's design is look how crazy fast it can go look how crazy the steering wheel is but if you're driving your kids to soccer practice or you're picking your kids up from school or you're just going to the groceries you don't need a crazy steering wheel you just need a steering wheel that's going to work well and yeah i don't i mean i'm assuming they've done focus groups on you know what's the most important of the steering wheel i'm sure they probably thought what if we chop off the bottom of the steering wheel instead of the top <laughs> and then for whatever reason it really didn't work when you chop off the bottom so like okay no we'll just chop off the top then and everyone should be okay with that maybe they do see an autonomous driving future or at least maybe so many tesla drivers use the auto driving functions first and foremost that they don't even need a full steering wheel in the first place who knows what led to this decision um 
I mean, it's going to be interesting to see once it's actually implemented. But just to kind of talk about the specs and about the range, right? A few episodes ago, we kind of talked about the fast charging batteries, right? How before the thing was, okay, you can't get this kind of range from an electric car. And then Tesla proved that wrong. And then it was, well, electric cars aren't exciting and fast and Tesla proved that wrong. Then it was, okay, well, it takes long to charge your battery. And then the store.company that we had mentioned in a few, a couple episodes before, well, now you can charge a battery fully in five minutes. So it seems like all the kind of preconceived notions that people have typically had about electric cars and electric vehicles are just being knocked down one by one. And with Tesla and this car, it's kind of like, well, now the fastest production car is an electric car, right? It's not a diesel car. It's not a gasoline car. It's an electric car. And then when you talk about the range, right, they're getting 512 miles is a very long distance. That's a lot of range. Yeah. It's We're getting to the point where regular diesel or gasoline powered vehicles aren't even going to be able to keep up with the range of electric cars anymore. Yeah. And and now everything's going to be, we're going to get to a point could be five years, could be 10 years where everyone's going to say, Oh, you drive a gasoline car. Like you can't even go fast in gasoline cars. Yeah. Like you can't even drive that far. You, what do you mean? You can't drive across across the country on one charge. What is this archaic technology that you're using and then it's going to be when we come to charging stations right at some point your relatives are going to have a charging station at their home it's going to be what do you mean you can't fuel up your battery or your gas tank at grandma's house what, what why would you even have a gas-powered car if there's specific stations that you have to go to that doesn't make any sense yeah what if you're driving somewhere and they don't have a gas station on your route do you just wait until the next gas station and well right now yeah that's what we do you know you're in ontario you're driving you're waiting for those on routes to pick up so that you could fill up your gas tank but it's we are at the start of a change i would say a change where more and more electric vehicles are going to become popular are just going to make sense right yeah we're getting to the okay electric vehicles are just as fast if not faster they have just as good range if not longer range they can charge just as fast and then the next thing to go is going to be they cost just as much or they cost less yeah right once we get to the point where the cost is on par and it's you're driving further you're driving faster there are less accidents it's not going to be that hard of a decision for the majority of people to choose an electric car soon yeah could be five years, could be 10 years, but we're getting closer and closer to that point. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think it, it's probably sooner rather than later. Like I think we mentioned before, I wouldn't be surprised if in the next few years we're hearing reports of, you know, electric manufacturers or electric cars are selling, new cars are selling more than new gas gasoline power cars. And I think we've seen this with CES and General Motors. Um, we're seeing it a little bit with Ford. I think these companies are starting to realize just how important electric is for the future of the their companies um, because they know that very, you know, 
the the generations that are going to be buying cars in the very near future are probably going to be looking almost exclusively at electric um and they need to they need to get their their stuff up to par if, if they're going to compete with with a company like tesla and it could be the point where you know fast and the furious 14 has all electric powered cars <laughs> <laughs> zooming down the road so yeah it's, it's pretty yeah. crazy yeah when dominic toretto is driving an all-electric ss yeah we've <laughs> we've reached a turning point uh anything else on the topic uh no, uh, I think the the cars are cool. Once again, hopefully uh, Tesla can can work out their quirks and and bring something a little bit more practical. But other other than that, I think what they've done here is really important and it's good that they're actually always moving the electric car market forward uh, instead of just resting on their laurels, which is really cool. I have one thing to add. I forgot. Mm-hmm. So I think it may just be the Model X, but I know the Model X for sure has a screen in the back seat for the back seat passengers as a tiny screen so you could i guess watch videos on possibly play some games on i read a report that said both the model s and the model x have a chip that's capable of 10 teraflop processing power and apparently they can play cyberpunk 2077 on these chips i do not for a second believe that you can barely run Cyberpunk 2077 on like <laughs> current generation PCs. You can't even run that on a well. I mean, you can now on a PS4, but I do. I would like to see someone try and play Cyberpunk on a Model S, and I would definitely like to see that happen. Yeah, I, I saw that too. Uh, they were saying that it's the equivalent of a gaming PC in the car, um, about ten. 10 teraflops which is almost as powerful as the playstation 5 and you know even on their press screenshots they have the witcher 3 um there as like a a playable game apparently on their on their on their car which is the same makers who made cyberpunk so yeah i it would be a little far-fetched to see it i mean i wouldn't be surprised if it runs but uh how well it runs (laughs) be another question yeah you may need like a jump start for your car after you turn <laughs> it on. <laughs> okay, on to our next topic Apple versus Facebook. Recently, Apple has, I guess, announced they'll be pushing out new privacy features um, for which is going to make app developers ask for permission before they track iOS users for ad targeting. Now, it's happening in the next iOS 14 beta, so not everyone is going to be able to do this, but the full release will come sometime later on in the spring, later on in 2021, and then all iOS users will be able to disable app tracking, I guess, from the various apps that they use. How do you feel about, I guess, what's been going on? with what Apple's doing and kind of Facebook's response to that, I guess. Yeah. So I understand where Facebook is coming from. I understand that they're like, Hey, this is our entire business. Um, we need to service ads. We're an ad servicing company. But that being said, I am 100% for this. I think this is a step in the right direction of giving consumers the ability to see very transparently what an app is doing with their data the kind of data that they want 
the kind of data that they're selling, the kind of data that they're using to make money. That is the way companies should work. I mean, any traditional marketing company, you know, they're very clear on how they, you know, they, they acquire demographics, like all of that information is out there. It's, it's easy to kind of research and find out. And there's a lot of rules around it. Um, but when it comes to these apps, you know, there's a huge disconnect in between the amount of people who are able to use these apps and the amount of people who have the knowledge of how these apps actually work and what they're doing to monetize themselves and make money. So just being able to see a representation of, hey, this app um, wants your data so it can give you better ads. Do you want to say yes or no? Um, now, I would imagine where Facebook is scared is 99% of people or a lot, large amount of people are going to say no. Um, and that's going to really hurt them, their bottom, their bottom line. But at the end of the day, that is a proper question that needs to be asked to consumers who are using these apps. So they get to decide. And, you know, it's the same kind of thing we were talking about with, with WhatsApp. You know, the idea that people were scared about WhatsApp sharing its data with Facebook or sharing people's data with Facebook even though that was already a thing happening, but it was just so opaque to a lot of the people who either used WhatsApp or downloaded WhatsApp after the deal was made originally, or just didn't read the agreement because they're so long and convoluted. It's it's one of those things where, yeah, it's it's 100% beneficial, I think, for everyone across the board to see exactly what these apps are doing, what they're using their data for. And down the line, I think it's going to be a situation where to entice customers to uh, I guess voluntarily give up their data they may need to be compensated in some way and you know it's whenever you're advertised to or something like that you're always getting some kind of benefit out of it um, that's the whole point is like someone is getting paid for this advertisement but at the end of the day it should help you in some way in terms of a promotion or something like that um, so if Facebook, like we've talked about, they're not a very good, uh, they don't have a very good public opinion. I don't think their, their business model or their, or their, their app is very good to a lot of people. But if they can say, oh, hey, we have a great algorithm for targeted ads. Um, you may not want us to use your personal data for targeted ads, but if you enable it, we can give you coupon codes for your favorite places. Um, instead of giving you random coupon codes to a place you never want to go or never want to use ever. And maybe kind of giving people a little bit more of a value proposition as to why Facebook, why people should want to use Facebook, I think is in the end going to help them out because they really need to reevaluate their business model. Because right now, if they continue going the way they're going, I think a lot of people are just going to pack up their bags and leave Facebook because they're not getting much value out of it. And uh, yeah, for, to make a long story short, I really think what Apple did here um, or is planning on doing is, is a step in the right direction in terms of, of transparency around privacy on mobile phones. And I hope, you know, Google and Huawei and whoever else is making phones all around the world kind of follow suit in that kind of transparency. But, but how about you? Would you select this feature um, to share your data or would you, you know, choose to not use it so you don't get like targeted ads and stuff like that um i agree with you i'd, I'd say this new feature is great for transparency you know there's so many hidden settings and 
hidden functions in different apps and on your phone that it's kind of like you said it's so easy for people to get a phone and use a phone now not everybody knows how to dig into the settings to find these different things to turn off right right now and this is kind of one thing that tim cook the ceo of apple said is right now iphone owners along with android owners and other phone manufacturer owners they have to dig into their settings to disable tracking and even then you have to do it on an app by app basis right however once this new feature is added as you download an app app developers are going to have to ask your permission first so really what the difference is is currently it's an opt-out so you have to make steps or you have to take steps to opt out of being tracked through ads what this new structure is going to be is an opt-in. You have to decide that, yes, I want you to track me. I guess to go a bit more into this, right? The way this ad tracking works right now, right? Let's say you search something on Google. You search, I don't know, cherry blasters on Google. Then the next time you log into Instagram, you see an ad for cherry blasters. And it's kind of like, and it's kind of like, Oh, hey, wow, that's crazy. I was just looking up cherry blasters. Like, how did they know that I like cherry blasters? Well, what's going on is your phone, your laptop, each device has this identifier for advertisers. It's an IDFA number. What happens is when you search something on Google, when you click on something, your click, whatever you, whatever you searched, is tied to the IDFA number. And it's updated to say, okay, IDFA number 20 likes Cherry Blasters. So when you go on to Instagram, they can see, okay, IDFA 20, he likes Cherry Blasters. Let's send him a bunch of ads for Cherry Blasters, right? What's happening right now is companies like Facebook, companies like Google, who collect a lot of information on people, they're selling this information to advertisers around the web. Now what this new feature is going to do it's it's pretty much saying that hey you can't take my information and share it with anybody else it's still going to allow let's say the facebook's let's say the instagram twitter it's still going to allow them to personalize ads based off of what you do on their websites so let's say if you're on on a facebook group and you're talking about blue hats for instance Facebook can still send you all the advertisements they want for blue hats, but they can't let another company know that you like blue hats. So I guess the key distinction here is ad personalization and ad tracking. Ad tracking is kind of when your, let's say, ad preferences follow you around the internet or around different apps. Ad personalization is within an app it's still the same thing. Like on Instagram, I click on a bunch of basketball and football highlights. They can still keep on sending me basketball and football stuff all they want because that's information they've gathered themselves. The difference is if I look at basketball and football highlights on Instagram, I won't get those on YouTube. I won't get those on Facebook. I won't get those on Twitter. I guess that's really what this is preventing from happening. And another key thing that Apple is doing, too, is they're making it part of their terms that, OK, let's say, like you said, there's some sort of incentivization, some sort of monetary, I guess, benefit that people are getting. They're making it so that apps can't restrict functions 
based out of opting out. Like, let's say, oh, you can only like 10 photos per day unless you let us track your ads all over the internet. Then you can like all the photos you want on Instagram. Well, no, you can't take away functions like that. Same thing, it can't be, oh, you want to search more on Google? Well, if you let us track you, you can search more on Google or we'll pay you a $10 coupon if you if we let you do something on our app. Yeah. So pretty much Apple is making it so that you can't be penalized pretty much for not wanting to be tracked. So like you said before, if you want to be tracked, you can opt into that. You can say, I want my, you know, ads to be personalized wherever I go. I want this app to speak to this app, to speak to this search engine, to speak to this social network. I want all of them to communicate, to give me the most personalized ad service possible, as opposed to you automatically just being signed up for it and you wonder why these ads follow you all around the internet. I guess that's kind of the main distinction between it. And what's, what Facebook is doing, like you said, Facebook is going to be hit by this because so much of their business is collecting information on people and selling that to different ad agencies. They're claiming they're the champion of the small business. They're saying, hey, your little local stores are gonna hurt because of what Apple is doing, right? Your little local store that, let's say, collects information on everybody that likes blue hats, they're not gonna know who to advertise to anymore because we're not giving them information on who likes blue hats, but it's kind of, to me, it seems like Facebook is more worried about their own bottom dollar than they are worried about what's happening to the little guy, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Because at the end of the day, it's going to be that information that you're selling to those companies is going to be less value valuable because it's going to be from a lot less sample areas. Like it's just going to be from Facebook as opposed to all this data that they could have collected from all over the place. And why I think... I think what you said is really good there. Why it's so important to someone like Facebook is that Facebook at the end of the day, like we've talked about, doesn't seem to have great products. Like they don't seem to be increasing everyone's interest in the Facebook brand as much as, as hard as they try. They try to put their Facebook logo on every single thing that they own, but still people are, are rejecting Facebook and the idea that they will have to be self-sufficient um, to anyone who decides to not opt in um, for the information that they sell, I think is a really scary prospect for them because it's like, well, we're not growing. We're not increasing the amount of users that we can harvest data from. We need to get it from other places. And um, like I said, as, as I can understand where Facebook is coming from, but one, I think this is going to help them in the long run. Um, because this is going to force them to make better products um, and to be a better company for the people who use it, which I think they've really failed at. But two, it's it's just the right thing to do for consumers. Um, consumers need more transparency, and I think this is just one step forward. I think the good thing about Apple is that they set a lot of trends, and I imagine a lot of companies will try to follow this trend um, just to play up the privacy aspect. I don't know if Google will. Um, because that's a huge part of their business. But mm -hmm. I think this is a great step for Apple. And also, they have been playing this privacy game um, for a long time. And, you know, with Apple, a lot of their marketing is a little bit, you know, overstated. But 
I think this sets Apple up for the opportunity to be the only company to compete with Google in a search engine. I think if Apple uses their brand recognition and their um, their focus on privacy to craft uh, a search engine um, that's made by them and is distinctly Apple, just like they did with, with uh, Apple Maps, I think they can become the second ba- biggest player overnight in that kind of sense, just from the idea of, oh, Apple is synonymous with privacy. Um, and it would be kind of interesting to see if they ever do go that route, but I think they absolutely have the opportunity to do so. One thing that Facebook has kind of been saying is that Apple isn't just doing this just to be good for the customer, for the consumer. What they're really after is, okay, you're crippling the typical way of collecting information on people. But what you're really doing is you're just setting it up so that the new information collection network is going to be services, right? It's going to be, what are you signing up for? What are you voluntarily giving your information to now? So let's say the Spotify's, right? Let's say the, the Apple Music's, the Apple Fitness, the Apple Arcade. Like you said, Apple could set up themselves as not even just a new search engine, just a new information gathering engine in general. So you can say, hey, look, these people are paying to listen to this music. These people are paying to do these type of workouts. These people are paying to do these type of games. You can advertise within our ecosystem that we've created because you can't get this information anywhere else now because we've pretty much outlawed it, right? Which is, which, you know, takes us back to our whole anti-competitive, I guess, mindset for 2020, right? That was kind of the big talk of almost every episode. It seemed like, you know, Apple or Google or Facebook or someone is being anti-competitive. And it, as much as Apple wants to say that, oh, this is for the good of the consumers, which it definitely is for the good of the consumers, right? What is really their end goal out of this? Like we said, they're taking out batteries from phone boxes because it's better for the environment. There's a lot of e-waste. Well, no, yeah, that's definitely true. But you also want to sell us more chargers. So I'm, I'm looking forward to see what comes from this. And as much noise as Facebook is making about it, nothing is gonna change, right? Apple is deciding to do this. It's kind of either Facebook goes along with it or you're not allowed on any iOS devices. And they're not going to stop that from happening. So they're going to comply with what Apple's saying. There's, there really is no options for these apps. Yeah. An interesting read, if you want to, I guess, get some more of Apple's reasoning behind this. It's called A Day in the Life of Your Data. And it kind of it tracks this father and daughter on their way to the playground. It kind of goes over you know, oh, you take a picture on this app and it's asking for your location and your spending and this, and you know, you wanna sign into a location on this other app and it's asking for your financial statements and where you live and all kinds of things, right? It's an interesting little PDF, uh, say a eight page PDF that they've put together. Could probably link it in the show notes for anyone interested in reading that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, Definitely some some great information, and I think this is going to be one of the things where 
Apple is is protecting themselves from from a growing audience of people who understand what a lot of these companies are doing with their data and you know the, these things are going to eventually change no matter how much noise Facebook makes you're absolutely right and I think one of the biggest differences is why I don't think Facebook has the ability to make these complaints is yes let's say for example Apple becomes uh, or aims to become this big service company where they can collect data through services one that's very smart on Apple's part because there's far more profit in, in services than there is in products and Apple has a brand that can you know bring services to customers that they'll hopefully adopt but at the same time if a customer is paying for a service it means that they see a value in that service and I think that's the biggest difference people see a value in Apple music people see the value in Spotify people see the value in Apple Fitness Plus or whatever it's called I don't think people see the value in Facebook anymore and I think that's the biggest problem with Facebook is they're complaining because they know they're not valuable um, in terms of their core product and that is like at the end of the day they can complain as much as they want but that's their own fault and um, at some point I, there's some really talented people who work at Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp very intelligent people who built this this giant company at some point they need to go back to the drawing board they need to kind of reconnect with their consumer base and find products that actually work for them in the way that Apple's doing if you look at it five ten years ago Apple Music Apple Fitness Plus like none of these services existed but they created them and they found an audience for them Facebook has not been able to do the same thing um, and I think this is kind of a push in the direction to kind of force them to do so definitely uh, on to our final topic all right okay our final topic of the day recently Jeff Bezos announced that he will be stepping down from his role as CEO of Amazon. He will now be, I guess, transition into the position of executive chair. And the new CEO of Amazon will be Andy Jazzy, who's currently the the chief of Amazon's cloud services. Yes, I'm assuming you've heard of the news. What do you think of, you know, this tectonic shift that Jeff Bezos is stepping down as CEO. Yeah, like normally when, when a CEO steps down, it's not usually huge because usually it's something that's planned out for a very long time and you imagine, okay, this is something that the person who's stepping up already probably ha probably handles so many, many of those roles. But this one kind of caught me off guard. As a matter of fact, when I first heard it or when I first saw the headlines and like news feeds and stuff like that, I ignored it because I figured it was fake. I was like, Mm -hmm. Not necessarily fake, but I figured it was exaggerated. I was like, oh, maybe he's stepping down from like some random section of Amazon, like maybe um, Amazon Luna or something like that. Some random company he's probably going to step down from. But no, Amazon proper, he's actually stepping down um, into a, a lesser executive role. And like you said, Andy Jassy is going to be going to replace him. But yeah, it's it's pretty significant news considering the fact that Amazon is a hugely profitable company that has been very successful and coming from a place of very humble beginnings like they were originally kind of targeting bookstores and they have ballooned into what i kind of referred to as the online version of walmart they're the department store of the internet and they're so ubiquitous like everyone uses amazon everyone finds their products on amazon and even if if, if 
what's so amazing about Amazon is and what Bezos was able to do with it. And I'm sure it wasn't him alone. It was, you know, Andy and all these other people who worked with him to kind of make it this. But it's so convenient. They made the most convenient kind of marketplace to sell people products. And it's interesting to see that the person who was at the forefront of that and, you know, kind of pushing them down this road to success is going to be taking a step back. It, it's kind of, in my opinion, a little reminiscent to, you know, Steve Jobs and, you know, him kind of pushing Apple to these astronomical heights and then, you know, forcing to take take a step back a bit. But, you know, I, I definitely think Amazon is in a position where they're a pretty self-sufficient company. Um, not self-sufficient, but they're pretty uh, concrete in the, the products and the stuff that they provide. And if you were going to have someone take over, I would imagine someone like Andy who was involved in like their cloud kind of ecosystem, which has been incredibly successful in terms of, uh, I don't know exactly what his, his day-to-day roles were, but if he was at all involved with the success of AWS, um, Amazon Web Services, which has become the ubiquitous platform for companies needing cloud services, I would imagine that's a great person to have as the CEO for your company um, because that's that was no small task. And the idea that, you know, just a few years ago, there were so many of these little startups and these little companies trying to make cloud services and companies would turn them down saying, why would I want cloud infrastructure when I could just have routers and switches in my in my building? And Amazon kind of turned that whole marketplace on its head and said, no, you don't want that stuff in your building. Why pay someone to manage that for you when you could just pay a small subscription fee or a medium subscription fee to us? We'll fully configure it. We'll give you exactly what you need. And if you ever need to upgrade it, you can do it instantly with a click of a button. Um, yeah, so to have someone who was able to work that out as becoming the CEO of Amazon, I think is a really kind of smart move. And it just goes to show that Amazon, regardless of what Bezos is doing, has a huge talent pool that they can pull from. Um, although I think it will be some time before we see if there's any kind of real changes in how Amazon operates. I would say the same thing as you. Like I, I saw it at first and I was kind of, uh, I can't be right. There's probably, it's probably just some clickbaity title. It's, he's probably just like, oh, he stepped down from on top of a chair and now he's like doing, I don't know. I didn't expect him to actually be stepping down from the role of CEO. But like you said, they have become so successful, especially com- coming off of 2020, right? The world was at home. You couldn't really, yeah, you couldn't really shop and go out and pick up things like you used to. A lot of people were ordering things online. A lot of people were ordering things from Amazon. And they became such a part of everyday life in 2020. Right. Not to mention how how much they've been growing since their start as a bookstore. Right. To selling more and more products. And now they are, like you said, they're the the Walmart of online shopping. now. Anything you need, you could check Amazon. They'll probably have it. They'll probably deliver it to you in two days or less. Right. Yeah. They are such they run so smoothly. Or I'm not sure how you said it, but. You know, they run so well and it's running to the point now. It's it's not really up to Jeff Bezos. Well, it obviously is to some extent, but it's not like if Jeff Bezos were to call in sick, it's not like Amazon's going to shut down. Yeah. Right. (laughs) It's built in such a way 
that it can run without him now. Let's say Jeff Bezos went missing for a month. He, I don't know, doing some billionaire stuff. He's taking a trip somewhere to an island that he owns and the internet's out and there's a storm and no one can get a hold of them. It's not like Amazon's just going to stop working. We don't know how to deliver trucks. We don't or deliver packages. We don't know how to take orders. Like it's still going to run perfectly fine. And it's probably gotten to the point now where, you know, like you said, they have such a talent pool. They've been able to build these, the AWS service, and they've been able to build, you know, the Alexa home things and the fire tablets. They've been able to build so much and innovate so much. That's kind of like, they don't need Bezos as CEO to innovate new products for them to sell. Because they have a talent pool built up within them that can come up with these new services and new products that people want to buy, right? And Amazon proper is running so smoothly on its own right now, especially after 2020, where everybody was using it for so much of their day-to-day stuff, right? This is a perfect time to step down or not even step down, step back as CEO. Because even though he isn't the CEO, he's in this new position of executive chair he's still going to be heavily involved with Amazon, mm-hmm. right? He is still going to have quite a bit of say as to what goes on in terms of any any big decisions that need to be made. Like, um, I can't think of anything, but let's say Amazon wants to change their colors to blue and red, right? He's still going to have the final say Yeah, if they change their colors for whatever reason. Because he is the founder of the company. He is now the executive chair. You guys can't see, but I'm doing air quotes right now. Um, but like you said, you know, if there is someone to take that role, Andy Jazzy, who's been the leader of the AWS service, one of their biggest, if not their biggest service apart from Amazon proper, if he is the chief of running that, if he's been part of the reason why they've grown so much, who else would you want to take over just Amazon stuff to take over being CEO of Amazon? And kind of one reason that's been given for, for Bezos wanting to step down is, okay, he's been expanding into new industries throughout the year. Like he bought the Washington Post. He started this company, Blue Origin, which is a space travel company, which he says is his most important work right now. So it's kind of, if he's at the point where Amazon is running so well on its own and his most important work isn't related to Amazon, then why does he need to be CEO of Amazon anymore, right? He's not making the small day-to-day decisions. He doesn't need to do that. So why not, I guess, take some of your focus away or not even take some of your focus away, reallocate your focus, let's say, to this Blue Origin space travel company that he says is the most important thing he's doing right now. Yeah, 100%. And, uh, you know, it, it might even benefit um, Amazon as a whole if, you know, Jeff Bezos maybe puts his expertise and, and his focus on, you know, all these other companies that he wants to wants to build up, like Blue Origin, all these these things that he wants to do, maybe makes them a little bit more profitable just from his presence being there, kind of like what Elon does with all of his ventures. Um, although Bezos is not nearly as as an eccentric personality or as a, like a big personality as, as Elon is. But also for Amazon, I think, you know, Andy definitely has shown that 
there's this kind of new products and new kind of ideas that can be brought into the Amazon family, um, whether it's their cloud gaming service or, you know, all these other things or the, the Alexa, all these other things that they want to add um, into the Amazon family. Maybe have someone who has proven to be, be able to bring those things to a successful market, um, kind of take the reins of Amazon while you go do all your other cool stuff. Um, might be better for, for Amazon overall because now you have two people who have their focuses of expertise, one in, you know, making this really cool technology um, that becomes ubiquitous. And then this other guy who just knows how to, you know, build a company from the ground up into something that's super successful, both branching off and doing two separate things and maybe, you know, growing because of it. Oh, yeah. I definitely see that it could be be beneficial for both Amazon and for whatever Bezos decides to, you know, I guess, dedicate his time to. Mm-hmm. An interesting thing, too, Jazzy, it's not like he's someone brand new to the company. He's been there since 1997 after he graduated Harvard Business School. And when he first started working with the company, he was actually shadowing Jeff Bezos for quite some time. He was his technical assistant, and he was kind of there for the the start of AWS. He helped launch AWS. Now, how much of a role did he play in that? You know, how much of it was it, okay, Bezos was just delegating some things to him and, you know, handling most of the work? Who knows? But he's been part of Amazon for a long period of time. And one reason that was given for him being chosen, apart from obviously him being so successful with AWS is, okay, he knows Amazon, the people at Amazon, meaning like, I guess, the people at the head office of Amazon know this guy, they trust this guy. And it makes a lot more sense than, let's say, hiring someone externally to now take over the reins of CEO, right? He knows how Amazon works. Amazon knows how he works. So it's just, it makes sense to promote from within as opposed to going and finding some other outside person to be CEO. Mm -hmm. It's going to be interesting to see what the future of Amazon and all of Jeff Bezos' other endeavors kind of turn out to be. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. Um, Just, I guess, a closing note he's currently the second wealthiest person in the world he only has 188 billion dollars which is two billion dollars behind tesla ceo elon musk so who knows maybe his new focus his new venture gives him that extra two billion dollars he needs (laughs) to reclaim the throne of wealthiest person maybe that's really why he's stepping down not because you know, Amazon is doing good. He's he's upset that Elon took first place from him at $2 billion. <laughs> he's just a bit salty. He'd be like, fine, I'll leave then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take it easy, everyone, in podcast land. Catch you in the next episode.